0: Welcome to Hear Women Tell. I'm Chris Hillenberg, your host. This is where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. My guest today is Slash Coleman. His website is www.slashcoleman.com. He was the uh, 2010 finalist from the Cabot Community Challenge. Uh, he was a 2008 finalist in the Virginia Governor's Award of the Arts in the Arts uh, in 2006. The Top 40 Under 40 Award by Style Weekly, and he's also uh, in 2005. Uh, won the Groucho for Best One-Man Show by Comedy Sports Improv Theater. Uh, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Good to be. Here. Um, I was um, looking over your information, and you've quite a quite an offbeat, creative family. Your grandfather was a Moulin Rouge dancer.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, and my grandmother was a, a watercolorist, and my father's a real prolific sculptor. Um, I just grew up like a, around a lot of creativity with a lot of artists in the family.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. I, 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 so, you went to school, and you in college you studied writing and jazz piano.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I grew up in my father's art studio, and um, I was kind of provided since birth with you know art supplies up the wazoo, like sketchbooks and. Um, clay and kilns, and my babysitters were all as artist friends, and I wanted to find a medium that I could just kind of call my own, and I felt like that was writing and music kind of mm. did that for me.
0: Right, right, because it's, you know, I, it's a, I, I think most people who are talented in, in, in one art usually are generally pretty good at multiple arts. Right. You know, right. but I'm just curious, how did you get into storytelling?
1: Um. I, I think if you, it, when I look back, if I'm like looking at things, teleology, teleology, uh, I can't even say the word. <laughs> if, if, if I'm if I'm looking back on my life, um, I think that storytelling was at the core from the beginning. Um, even when there was a short period in there for about four years where I even made my living as a visual artist, and my visual art always had words in it, um, and always told some kind of story with with the art, um, but. My part of my family um, is uh, half my family is Jewish, and half my family is from West Virginia, not the non-Jewish side. And I have this—I uh, come from like a family of storytellers, mostly on the West Virginia side. They would never call themselves storytellers, but I feel like I've had even an ounce of their talent. I could have, you know blasted off with that. I, I feel like I have to work really hard to like create these stories that I tell where the mostly the men in my family, it just seems like they have this natural talent and gift.
0: Right. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, down here in South Carolina, it's the same thing when I tell people that I'm a storyteller. They, they're just, they give me this puzzled look because down here, it's just, it's a given. Everybody tells stories. Yeah, right. Right. You know? It's another thing, though, to, to, to tell a story with a beginning, middle, and end. You know that's uh, that's where the hard work comes in, and I wanted to talk to you about that creative process. Um, and just in particular, how how do you, I you know, it, I think I look at uh, creating anything artistically as a, kind of a spiritual experience, really. And uh, and you're you're doing it by yourself, but you have this sense that there's a greater thing that you're doing. How does um, creating art change and challenge you?
1: Hmm. Well, yeah, I, what you said reminded me of what Alice Walker, the writer, said, um, the author of the, *The Color Purple*. She said she just basically puts the her pencil on the paper, and, there, and she acts as a medium. There's some kind of spirit beyond her that kind of moves, that, you know, creates the words on the paper. And I found that even it, with all my different stories and the types of work that I do, um, uh, that each of it has a each project has its own spirit. Unto itself. I remember when I did my first uh, one-person show. Um, about being, this was um, about nine years ago, and I set up a tour, and I spent a year creating the show called Love in Boxes, and it was it was a 90-minute um, uh, theater storytelling show about all my failed love relationships. And after six months, I was just tired of telling it. And I learned, I, looking back on it, I learned that you know what, this story didn't want to be told that many times. Um, hmm. Whereas the the show that I created four years ago after my best friend died, you know, that's been on tour for going on five years. And I'll probably end up telling that for the rest of my life.
0: Right. That's uh, the neon man and me, right?
1: Right. And that's the the show that became a PBS special.
0: Right. And I know you've, uh, you know, you've gone over this many times in interviews, but could you tell our listeners just a little bit about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So about five years ago, my best friend died. Uh, he was a neon artist uh, from Roanoke, Virginia. His name was Mark Jamison, and we've been friends since college. We've been friends for about 20 years. And in college, we met in a jazz group um, and stayed friends all those years. And um, he was about during that time he was blown into a power line while I was hanging a neon sign, and then um, he was electrocuted. And then a month after he died, his girlfriend found out she was pregnant. So, in my effort to create a care package for his family, I ended up. Writing a one person show about friendship called The Neon Man and Me. And it was eight, eight stories about our friendship, but universal friendship in general. And I played four songs on my guitar. And I initially just set out to, to tell the story for his community and members of his church. And the, the piece just took off and it kind of took my career with it. And it ran off Broadway and it, it took me to the, the Jonesboro stage where I an exchange place teller last year and it kind of it became the PBS special and it really defined um, kind of my career path because before well, before I hit the Jonesboro stage I never considered myself a, what you would call a storyteller. Um, I was more of like a Renaissance man who was kind of kind of aligned more with theater than I did storytelling so that's kind of the story behind that And
0: yeah. were you surprised by um, how well it was received?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I feel like when that when my friend died, it's it's kind of like all my chops were in order. Um, I was I had been performing for a number of years. I was all my writing chops were in order. I was able to um, kind of live the artist lifestyle and meaning I was able to travel with no problem and without a suitcase. So everything was in place, and it's like all I needed was something kind of profound and universal to create. And when when he died, that that story kind of came through me. Um,
0: Wow, okay. I I think that's awesome. Were you surprised by how quickly it took off?
1: um, Yeah, I I think so. I remember... um, I, I literally just expected to perform it um, like five or six times. The first, the first run of shows was produced by Mill Mountain Theater down in Roanoke, and they're no longer around. But the, that, that theater was just a block away from my friend's neon shop. Mm. And I, I didn't think that I would perform it um, after that very much. So I was real surprised that I, that I connected with something that other people connected to as well.
0: Right, right. I know you do this thing called core values, -hmm And uh, you do it as a fundraiser. Right. And, uh, and so like instead of selling candy bars, uh, people actually sell tickets to your show uh, right. as the fundraiser. and I think that's a great idea. But could you tell us a little bit about that program?
1: Yeah, well, the idea of, of selling you know instead of selling candy bars, you can tell, sell tickets to my show, I kind of like set the pace for that with the neon man. So with the neon man, I initially gave all the, 100% of the money to my friend's family, mm. and then I, and then I started using that as a fundraiser too, and within Virginia I've raised about $90,000. Wow. For non-profits, bereavement groups, children's hospitals, places like that. So the model seemed, seemed like a good one to go in, to be able to offer something to a community where, okay, you can book my show and pay me, or you can book the show and it, you're not, i'm going to i'm going to get my fee but you're also going to leave with a lot of money as well okay. and it seems like this valuable skill to have when in a, in a time where where people are needing money
0: right so you have your fee that covers your expenses and pays you too uh and then the, whatever is over that then they get for their donations correct yeah right oh, that's right. that's awesome and yeah. this this core values program is you've done this in schools right
1: schools and libraries and the the initial plan was to the to get a grant to do it in all 95 counties within the state of Virginia, where I would perform a core values program within um, for middle schools and high schoolers in, in one library and one middle school and high school, and all the throughout the state of Virginia. Um, but the the when when the economy tanked, the the funding kind of yeah. I kind of lost my funding for that. So I've kind of been doing gigs here and there with the core values, and it's still like on the on my side plate as far as raising the funds and actually doing that tour. But um, that's based around um, s- stories based around honesty, respect, responsibility, and accountability. Mm. Um, to kind of try to bring families together and give them kind of a, uh, a venue to like talk about those things. And, and mostly just about um, how to treat people nice, which I don't see a lot of.
0: Right, right, kindness.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that's awesome. Um, uh, this you do something I hope I pronounce this correctly called uh, chai
1: yeah, yeah, um, identity. Yeah, yeah, identity or chai So chai okay. means uh, means life in in Hebrew. Okay. Um, but whenever whenever people see it, they think I've created a, a show about an Indian drink. Called, uh, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> so it usually gets a lot of laughs. But um yeah, so that's based on um my family's experience with the Holocaust, my mother being a Holocaust survivor, and, and just what it was like to to um. Grow up um, around a lot of silence about who I was spiritually, and kind of being in what I call the Jewish closet. Around growing up in the South and the small town that I did, where it wasn't okay to tell anyone you were Jewish because there was all this fear around w- what would happen in retaliation of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and it's, now I'm looking at the whole picture here, and I'm thinking now your father is a sculptor, your grandmother's a painter, your father was a grandfather was a dancer, and then you have this unique individual, your mother, who is a Holocaust survivor.
1: Yeah, Holocaust survivor and a, a teacher. She's been a first grade teacher for about 42 years now. Yeah, that's um,
0: a quite a quite a unique group of people to come from.
1: Yeah, right. I'm
0: sure. Do you have any siblings?
1: I have two twin sisters. Really? And, um, they're, they're, uh, on in yeah, within my family, um, there's even though it seems like we're loaded with artists. Like my sisters are creative, but they're not. They're not artists, they're dental assistants. And my cousins on all my other sides aren't artists as well. They have like really traditional jobs. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. Well that's great. Well let's take a little break right here and we'll be right back with Here Women Tell where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story.
2: This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for hearwomentalk.com.
3: Have you been scammed on Facebook? Do you know someone who has? Well, it's rampant. And Thursday on Vicky Child's show, P.I. Answers, Vicki, together with a computer forensics expert, exposes a band of thugs who have been masquerading as a U.S. general and scamming women around the world out of thousands of dollars. You'll hear from real victims in Asia, Europe, and the U.S., don't miss this special event when Vicki blows the whistle on the latest Internet trickery. That's Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio.
2: Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of racersreunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club.
3: And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa, featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies.
2: The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145.
3: Hi, this is Kay Van Hoosen, founder of Hear Women Talk. Every Monday, you can return to love with Jen Ward in Genuine Healing. Jen is an empath, a healer, and an intuitive. And Jen will show you how to remove blockages, heal yourself, and feel love. That's Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk.
4: Hi, this is John Banks with the Zeus Radio Network and Hear Women Talk. Come join me on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. with Bringing Man Out of the Cave. We're going to try to take an interesting look at the male-female dynamic as I try to give you answers
1: as to why men do what they do. Come join me on Mondays.
3: Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. My name is Chris Hillenburg. I'm your host. This is where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And today we're talking to Slash Coleman. Uh, Slash, I wanted to get back to uh, the uh, Jewish identity program you called Identity. How did I do? Right, that was good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what was your purpose in developing this?
1: Well, I. Basically, the the tagline of the story that for me was, my mom told my sisters and I, if we ever told anyone we were Jewish, we would die. So we were raised in this mm. environment where, kind of the, as a second generation Holocaust survivor, this this the Holocaust was still going on for for us. Um, and so um, I lived my life until my thirties where it, it it wasn't so much a shame and guilt as it was a real fear around anyone finding out I was Jewish. And and as I met more um, uh, other Jewish, um, mostly artists that I hung out with, as I met more Jew- other Jewish artists, I saw, like, that, that fear reflected in them as well. And I, I just felt like I wanted to, like, jump out of the Jewish closet on stage and, and kind of explore some of this through stories.
0: Mm. And I can see where that actually could be applicable to a lot of different people who feel like they're on the fringe, you know, whether they're um – you know, gay and lesbian, whether they have handicaps of some sort or whatever, where they're kind of like uh, really they hold back to who they really
1: are. You right. know, right. And that's what I'm finding is this show has hit a universal nerve in that as well. It's um it's slated to it, it just got booked at the um, uh, Gay Richmond Center here in Richmond, Virginia, where I'll be. Uh, there's a exhibit on loan from the National um, Holocaust Museum on. Nazi persecution of homosexuals from, like, 1933 to 1943. So mm. the show is going to be a part of that, that
0: um, event. Right. A lot of people don't realize that that happened, you
1: know? Yeah, right.
0: And now yes. you, you also um, you do workshops. Tell us a little bit about your yeah. workshops.
1: Yeah. Well, the, f- the first one and the, the main one that I've, the, that I've done since the Neon Man started running about six years ago is called Healing Community, Helping Students Come to Terms with Tragedy, Loss, and Violence. Mm. And the Virginia Commission of Arts gave me funding to create a curriculum um, then to to help students have a space and even teachers to talk about some of the the things that were going on in their lives and um, that that school or an English essay didn't give them provide them with a, a place to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm finding like it's been taught to about 15,000 kids within Virginia so far, and um, it, with any class there's there's at least three to four students in any class that have suffered some kind of loss and don't have a place to, to kind of share those feelings with others. Right. So it, it's been pretty profound, um, a workshop to like be involved with.
0: And and uh, the other workshops you, you also do?
1: Yeah, I do a storytelling boot camp, which it is a little bit more popular, and that's for K through 12 and then adults as well. Um, and then I also uh, do one on social media and the art of business, mm. and that one's really popular as well. Right. So.
0: Oh, that's great. As a matter of fact, I wanted to talk about that. Um, I know that there are a lot of uh, storytellers who are who are. Um, you know, and a lot of people in general who, who, whenever you mention technology, they panic because uh, they feel like that you know it's it's just plain scary. And uh, right. you know, uh, one of the things about promoting yourself through social media is uh, it's not really as scary as as it seems. Right. You know that right. that there are ways that that um, people can promote themselves through social media. Can you tell me a little bit about how
1: you do it? Yeah. Well, when when I got the green light for my uh, show to become a be, become a PBS special, um, I was in charge of making making sure that every station in the country knew that that my show would be arriving at their station. And if they didn't know about it, um, then they just wouldn't show it. So hmm. what what happened during that time is each station got a list of you know 200 shows that were going to arrive. And if they didn't know that my show was on the list, there would be no reason for them to air it. So I actually learned kind of like trial by fire. I was about to start a Huge fax campaign, a very creative one, where I was going to send weekly faxes and they would tell a story and people would be interested and, mm. and read about them. Very old school. I mean, yeah,
0: like a, like campaign. a chain story.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I met with with a friend. She goes, "You're going to do what?" She's like, <laughs> "Have not you heard of Twitter?" And I was just like, "Yeah, I don't know if I can do something like Twitter." She's like, "You got, you've got to." So she gave me a couple of lessons, and within a month, the learning curve was was really steep. I won over eighty to ninety percent of the PBS stations within the country within a month. Hmm. And I could have never done that by sending faxes out. Right. It would have never happened. And so I was sold on Twitter after that and I've, I've since like used it for, for other projects as well.
0: Mm-hmm. What else do you use for, for promoting yourself with the new media?
1: Um, I was a... a it, it took a while for me to, to um, kind of lessen my allegiance to Facebook and jump over to Twitter because I, my Facebook is set up more, more in terms of a fan page rather than right. you know this is a personal page. And mo- most of my two thousand friends know that if you're my friend, that I'm I'm going to do some business on there. It'll be personal, but mm-hmm. I'm going to make connections through there that are dealing with my career. Um, and before that, it was just a really. I was a really big collector of emails, um, and that's been going on for about 15 years. I have like a huge like email database that I keep in touch with my fan base that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've I've spent I'd say about 80% of my time is spent um, on Facebook. About 20% now on like Twitter. Although that's kind of I, I think by the end of this year it'll be about 50% Facebook, 50% Twitter. And then um, and then I, I've kind of. Email is so old school now, but there's a lot of my fans that still only connect with me through email. So,
0: Right. As fast, as Facebook. Facebook, as, fast as Facebook has grown, there's still a lot of people that really aren't on it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I read this book last spring uh, by Guy Vanderchuk. I think it's Vaynerchuk. I think I pronounced that wrong. Called Crush It, and he, oh, yeah. it, I know you've probably heard of this. And this guy has so much energy, and uh, it's it's not a big book, but it's just jam packed with all kinds of uh, ideas and things on on how to promote yourself and your business or whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you can you can use uh, social media to do it. And one of the quotes that he he said that just uh, was really. Um, I really liked it was, legacy is greater than currency. Yeah, right. right. You know, that that what you're building and what you're presenting and the quality of the person that you are and and the quality of whatever you're trying to promote is really greater than whatever currency is created through using uh, social media to promote yourself. Right. So, so there's an identity there, much like you were talking about uh, with the uh, core values and the uh, identity. Uh, this this whole um, who you are, you know, really presenting right. who you are and what you do in a way that, uh, you know, um, is it is is truly an indicative of who you are. You know, and I think that you know. Sometimes it seems like that would be hard to do with using social media to to uh, promote yourself because you know there's so much to do. I mean, you could spend full time just doing that, just just working your social media.
1: Right, right. And there's so many different types of social media now that I think a lot of storytellers, in particular, are really apprehensive to jump in because they feel like it's going to eat up a lot of their time.
0: Yeah. If you were going to name the top things that you see results with with social media, what would it be?
1: Well, I think for me, it, 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 it depends on like what my goals are for something specific. Mm. Um, and so um, when I'm looking to make key industry connections, Twitter's the way to do it. Because I feel Twitter is a business application that moves towards a personal, whereas Facebook is a, uh, a personal application that moves towards a business. Mm. Um, so it depends on like what I'm trying to do. Sometimes it's business-wise, sometimes it, for instance, like Winning over the the the, um, the PBS station. Sometimes I I need a group of storytellers to connect with um, to like showcase a new piece so I can get feedback on it. And I'm going to do that on Facebook because that's more a more personal medium. When I was looking for an agent for to for my book, I decided I was going to blog every day for a year because I had I had interviewed a lot of other artists and found out that that's. That led to that, and within within like six months, I ended up signing with a with a agency in New York that now, you know, deals with with my written written work exclusively.
0: All right, I hear dog in the background.
1: Yeah, I know are you're, you're
0: probably going to hear dogs in the background here uh, shortly because I <laughs> I have a couple myself. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you so the blog that you started was that uh, www.21hour.blogspot.com. That's all spelled out.
1: Yeah, or it's just 21hours.com.
0: 21hours.com? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right, I saw that. Uh, I know I was reading the last post that you did on uh, talking about attention deficit Facebook disorder. <laughs> that, oh, yeah, that is right. so true, so true because you get so much information that it's like, exactly. you know, what do you, what, do you, um, what do you concentrate on?
1: There's a lot of noise. Well, it's interesting because I have a, uh, I also do, uh, for about six years I've been touring the F- Fringe Theater Festival circuit. <laughs> and so I started a, a Fringe... Um, festival site early on about four or five years ago. Um, just so other performers could find out how much, if they wanted to go to a certain city, I'd have other re- performers review the city to find out how much it costs to fly in and if it's worth going and what the crowds would be like. I put very little attention into that blog, and do, do you know that that's gotten me the most media attention out of out of m- anything that I've done? Really? I, actually, I'm not a big. I'm. I i do not like the blog. And I, I'm not a person that keeps a journal, and I don't like to write regularly. I like to, to create. I'm very disciplined, and I create things as the spirit moves me. But something like writing a blog every day and committing to it—that's very hard for me. But yeah. just last week, with the with my fringe or die blog, I was I was doing an interview with um, the Chicago Reader in Chicago, which is a major alternative weekly in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And last year, I got huge NPR coverage just based on on the blog where they came to one of my my workshops on the art of business and um, covered the whole thing, which is wow. so cute. But but so I I know the power of of the blog when you're not even trying, and I think that that can be magical in a blog. Whereas Twitter can be, you know, you're you're looking for, to do something and you're you have some goals and you're saying out to do it. But with a blog, I've I've talked to so many people who don't even tend to for it to become successful, and it just takes off.
0: And so you so you were able to get a publisher from this blog.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I had in in a, I wrote a book called The Art of Business mm-hmm. um, for creatives, um, and it deals with all the business stuff I've learned through all the years of growing up in an artistic household and just doing doing business myself. And I interviewed like forty artists from around the country of various different mediums. And one of the artists I interviewed, um, Noah Scalen, wrote a uh, decided to create a blog where he would make a skull a day. And so one morning he woke up and like carved a pumpkin into a skull, took a picture and put it on his blog. Another <laughs> morning he was in a hotel and he arranged the sheets on the floor in the shape of a skull, took a picture of it. Well, that book took off and it took his career with him. And, it, and now he's into like his fifth book now. He's been on Martha Stewart a couple times. Hmm. And he's now the skull guy. And when I interviewed him, he was like, you know what, if you haven't done it yet, you should really think about committing to a, you know, a blog entry a day and, and seeing what you can make happen with it. Um, and, and so I did, reluctantly, because I told you I don't like to write regularly. And yeah. within six months I had met my agent. Yeah. Oh, that's, and, and,
0: who's the, so who's going to publish it?
1: Do you know yet? Well, well she spent about um, uh, eight months trying to sell it at the economy tanked, and they didn't feel like there was a... Um, there was, they felt like it was hard to find the demographic of artists who would like buy this book. Mm. So she's taken my memoir now. And she feels like once this is published, which she's hoping will be by the end of this year, she can tag on the, the right. marketing book at the at Right, the
0: end right. Of the that list. makes a lot of sense. So, so then, yeah. you know, you, you're absolutely, that would be the perfect way to go. Well, we're going to take a little break right now, and we'll come back in just a few minutes with Hear Women Tell. This is Chris Hillen, Hillenberg, your host, so hang, on, hang in there. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is Jessica Dorvaj, host of the Where is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. The definition of guru is to lead from darkness to light, and one who is regarded as having great knowledge, wisdom, and authority in a certain area, and who uses it to guide others. Join us on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Where is My Guru show, where gurus from the areas of art, travel, creative activism, wellness, and the spa share their infinite wisdom and maybe a glass of wine. Fridays at 3 p.m. right here on Hear Women Talk Radio.
3: Have you been scammed on Facebook? Do you know someone who has? Well, it's rampant. And Thursday on Vicky Child's show, P.I. Answers, Vicki, together with a computer forensics expert, exposes a band of thugs who have been masquerading as a U.S. general and scamming women around the world out of thousands of dollars. You'll hear from real victims in Asia, Europe, and the U.S. Don't miss this special event when Vicki blows the whistle on the latest Internet trickery. That's Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio.
4: Hi, my name is Jesse Jordan with Further Faster Initiatives, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio.
5: This is Dottie Laster, the host of Trafficked, an hour-long discussion about human trafficking in the United States. Join me as we meet guests from around the world and locally who are combating the fastest-growing crime in the world. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk radio.
0: Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. This is Chris Hillenberg, your host, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. and Today we're talking to Flash Coleman. Uh, Slash Coleman. Slash, you know, I uh, always like to find out you know, more about storytellers. And uh, one thing that I find is they really have something that's much more than just storytelling is fun. You know, and then my question to you is what's your ultimate goal as a storyteller?
1: You mean on paper or like personally?
0: In all ways. Like what is your ultimate goal with the stories that you tell?
1: I got you. Going down to Jonesboro last year to tell for the first time, I I was surprised because I thought I was there to do a gig, and I ended up seeing a lot of stories for the first time in my life, and I felt really healed by those. I became a huge storytelling fan.
6: Mm-hmm. So
1: beyond the the fact that I love to tell, is that that connection I have to just hearing stories, um, and that was a that was the moment where I just wanted to connect with more of that. Um, so I feel like my goal as a storyteller, it, it connects me into. a a community that's out here and as an artist I I feel like we can kind of be removed sometimes from that community. Right. Um, So I I think that's my my larger goal is just to to feel connected to to others and have them feel that connection and share that connection as well.
0: Oh absolutely. I mean my my goal with this program is, is really I mean I would love to see a storytelling renaissance where you know people of, uh, who had never heard storytelling before would all of a sudden hear it and just go wow this is the greatest thing right you know
1: right. Uh, you have well, a story oh, go uh, go ahead oh, no. well also uh, as a leo and a lover of the spotlight i also <laughs> want wanting to get my credentials in the storytelling world so i can take it to hbo i'm looking at producing my next PBS special on storytelling I want to see storytelling action figures and like the whole nine yards <laughs> all big dramatic like that. oh that sounds awesome love that so my vision is a little bit different than others yeah
0: well um do you have a story you'd like to tell us yeah I do okay
1: um it's a it's a newer story it's called perpetual underdog okay and um yes yeah, so I just jump in and
0: sure go right ahead
1: okay look at me champ those are my dad's words and I look at him. He's beef jerky lean and taller than a building. I'm nine and a half and no taller than a lampshade. And I hold my breath as he reaches down with his large hands and adjusts my shirt collar. God cast him from the same mold used for barbed wire, horseshoes, and hot fire. I won't often feel like I'm cast from the same mold. I'm softer from my mother's side, but in this moment I do. We're wearing our matching Billy the Kid suits. White denim pantsuits named after the infamous outlaw, special ordered from the J.C. Penney catalog. In a world where all my dress-up clothes come in only one style, incredibly, uncomfortably, and undeniably itchy, the soft denim is a welcome relief to all that. My father altered our suits by running mushroom-shaped copper tacks along the pant legs and attached silver conchos with leather straps on the jacket pockets. For a kid who will almost always be the perpetual underdog in my ability to kid suit, I feel like I belong to a special club, a dangerous and powerful one, and I enjoy a certain illusion of being just like my dad, a tough guy, an outlaw, top dog. Before we leave for the synagogue and my aunt's wedding, my dad stops me at the door. He tells me he has to swing by his art studio at the college where he teaches sculpture. Stay here, he says, and don't be getting your suit all dirty. I'll be back in 30 minutes. He doesn't come back for two days. Early the next morning, A tow truck backs my dad's van into our driveway. My mom jumps into her car and I meet her down at the street. I want you to watch your sisters, she says. Your father has been shot. I imagine her in the hospital, pressing her hand against this bullet hole. She drives away and I turn towards the van. And my knees shake as I touch the dark bloody handprint on the driver's side door. Then my stomach drops as I pull open the door with both hands. There is so much blood on the green seat, and the green steering wheel, and the green dashboard that it looks like a bucket of red paint has exploded inside. When I press my finger into the bloody carpet underneath the brake pedal, it feels like wet wool, squishy and firm. I climb across the seat, and I'm careful not to touch anything, and I spy myself from the rear view mirror. I'm still in my suit, and my hair, like my mind, is sticking out in about a million different directions. I think, what if my dad never comes home? What if I wear my suit until my legs and my arms outgrow it? What if all the blood attracts on mosquitoes mosquito that my entire family dies of malaria? And I think all these thoughts and finally exhaust myself. And so I finally curl up like a tiny moon and after crying for a bit, I go to sleep. My dad picked up the hitchhiker on the college. He said the guy was clean cut, short hair, glasses, tie. The hitchhiker climbed into the passenger seat. My dad steered him on a 95 South to head home, but the hitchhiker said no. And my father said, no what? And the hitchhiker said, no, you're going to take me all the way to the beach. And my father said, I ain't going that way. And the hitchhiker said, you are tonight. And he pulled out a pistol, and my dad started heading towards the beach. The hitchhiker kept the pistol pointed at my dad, though he didn't know what my father was capable of. It was like one outlaw picking up another. Even behind the gun, The guy should have been afraid. My dad made small talk while he slowly pushed the accelerator pedal deeper and deeper against the floor. By the time the speedometer hit 125, my father was probably in his element. By the time the the speedometer maxed out at 150 and the van started to shake, I imagine the hitchhiker started to shake as well. My dad knew the guy would never shoot him if he was going this fast. If he did, they both might die. Up ahead, they neared the way station, and my dad planned his escape. He counted to ten, and when he hit ten, he simultaneously slammed on the brakes and slammed the hitchhiker's head into the dashboard. He reached over with one hand, pulled the hitchhiker across his leg, steered with his knee for a second, opened the door with another hand as the van fish tail. He threw the hitchhiker out, shut the door, and he kept on driving. As my dad drove on, he noticed that his feet felt cold, and he looked down he could see that both of his cowboy boots had started to fill up with blood. The hitchhiker had pulled the trigger after all. My dad swerved into the way station, and there he jumped out, but his legs wouldn't work, and so he laid on the asphalt, his legs splayed out like a frog's. A worker finally found him and called an ambulance, and when the police arrived, they looked for the hitchhiker, but they never found him. At the hospital, they cut off my father's suit, the top to hook them up to machines, the bottom to plug the holes in both of those legs. One bullet went clean through both legs, and another bullet went through one leg and lodged in his ankle. I never saw a suit again. My own suit hung in my own closet for some time, and then, like a lot of things you have when you're a kid, it just one day disappeared. It disappeared like the hitchhiker. I don't know. Maybe my father thought that to have a suit named after a... Famous outlaw would only bring misfortune, though whose misfortune I couldn't say. Sometimes I think that hitchhiker crawled in the woods that day and died, his bones tattooed with the karma of an underdog. But things changed after that for me. It wasn't in my size or in my softness, but deep down, something really changed. It did. When things got really hard for me, and they did. Then in my childhood and then in my teens and in my 20s and now in my 30s, I often pull out that Billy the Kid suit within the closet of my mind. I pull the soft denim on my body, and suddenly I feel just like my dad, a tough guy, an outlaw, a top dog. I know there's a fine line between an underdog, an underdog, and a top dog, and sometimes that line is so, so fine. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's great. Slash, I'll tell you what, I could picture all of that in my mind. I'm telling you, thanks. What a great story, and I love the way, I just love the way you turn everything back around. You know, when you're talking about how how it relates and everything uh, to your yeah. your current time, it's great. Wow, Well, I, I was, I know you you have a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, this program uh, will be airing later, but I know that you, on October October the 23rd you'll be doing the Chidentity uh, Storytelling Concert at the Holocaust Museum exhibit. Is that in D.C.?
1: No, that's actually here in Richmond. They have a really incredible museum here, but the exhibit has been barred from D.C. Oh, it has? uh Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Uh, No, but it used to be in D.C., right?
1: Well, there's it still is in D.C. They're barring a part of the exhibit for here, but there's also a, a big Holocaust museum here in Richmond. They're, well, they're separate.
0: I didn't realize that. Well, I've got a couple of uh, final questions for you, which are probably uh, one-word answers. Sure. If you could be one thing in this life, what would you be?
1: Mm, a superhero.
0: <laughs> okay. If you could take one friend on the ride... Who would you take?
1: Oh, my friend Mark.
0: Cool. And if you could let go for just one moment, where would you go?
1: Oh, I'd go to a place where all my, all the family that's ever been in my family is.
0: That would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Can you imagine the conversations you could have? <laughs>
1: yeah, I <know. laughs> hey, I recognize those questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, really?
1: Yeah, they're your questions.
0: <laughs> they're, those questions actually come out of what? Which is isn't that, isn't that the uh, neon, neon man in me?
1: Yeah, it's the trailer for that. Yeah, yeah I couldn't help myself. I said, I w- I didn't re- I didn't know till halfway through the second question.
0: Well, you know, I, I said, I, I wonder if he's ever been asked the, those questions. So I thought, never. I thought yeah. I would do it. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, why don't you tell people how they can, uh, your website and your blog and how they could get in touch with you if they're interested in having you perform?
1: Yep. For any performances, um, they can visit me online at Coleman com um, they can visit my blog 21 hourscom I'm on Twitter under the, sa- the same name slash Coleman I'm on Facebook under slash Coleman and I'm also on LinkedIn and um, I have a series of um, Twitter art- a three-part series of Twitter articles coming out in the next storytelling magazine for the actually the next three issues so they're oh. running uh, Twitter 101 in the next issue and then Twitter 102 in the following issue and Twitter 103 in the
0: Oh, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll have to catch that for sure. Well, it's just, it, you know, it's been an absolute pre- uh, pleasure slash I've really enjoyed our conversation today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. I wish you luck with your show. I think it's a really great thing.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Well, this is Chris Hillenberg with Hear Women Tell, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. Stay tuned for Linda Goodman with News and Reviews.
3: Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hi, this is Kay Van Hoosen, founder of Hear Women Talk. Every Monday, you can return to love with Jen Ward in Genuine Healing. Jen is an empath, a healer, and an intuitive, and Jen will show you how to remove blockages, heal yourself, and feel love. That's Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk.
5: Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advance tickets. The Myrtle beach
3: ghost walk hi this is deb coletti and i am your host of life on purpose a radio show where i'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are in my opinion leading a truly rich life we will laugh we will cry we will sometimes get very serious it will get edgy it will definitely be irreverent and uh, no no subject off limits tune in to hear where we go
4: and even join in the conversation Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network.
3: When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina,
0: home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure
2: that you should try.
0: Carolina Safari Jeep Tours.
2: Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See
0: hey. another side of Myrtle Beach. Get one. Wild with Wildlife? Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina safari jeep tour. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard.
3: You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome
0: here hear women tell. My name is Chris Hillenburg. This is where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And now it's time for reviews with Linda Goodman. Hi, Linda. How are you?
5: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'm so excited because I know you have an interview for us of Slash Coleman.
5: That's right. I'm going to review his DVD, The Neon Man and Me.
0: Oh, great. We'll go right ahead.
5: Okay, in 2004, Slash Coleman suffered the loss of his best friend, Mark Jameson, a neon light artist who was electrocuted while hanging a sign. After Jameson's death, Coleman began collecting mementos meant to help Jameson's little boy, who, by the way, had not been born yet, to get to know the father he would never meet. That process led to the creation of The Neon Man and Me, a one-man play about friendship and going home. In this show, Coleman portrays 30 characters, beginning with Jacques Lemoy, who gives a dissertation on the mating habits of elephants who meet through a series of long-distance calls called Muths. That's spelled M-U-S-T-H. This is followed by a recitation of Terry Kettering's poem, The Elephant in the Room. Riding, Coleman discovers, is a powerful pill. Next, Coleman describes his first meeting with an elephant named Mark Jameson, then a tenor saxophonist alternately described as an alcoholic-powered Ouija board and a Pentecostal chick magnet. To Coleman, he becomes the man, his new best friend. That friendship is deepened through road trips, fishing trips, late-night coffees, and then the two of them form a jazz band together. Later, while being dressed down by a university official for a questionable promotional stunt, Jameson proclaims that jazz is a spiritual truth and reveals to Coleman that a member of his church has had a vision that the two of them will play before millions. Jameson also has a premonition that he will die young. After college, Coleman heads to Knoxville to write the great American novel, Jameson goes to Neon School in Johnson City, Tennessee. Their relationship continues through a series of long-distance phone calls that cover getting kicked out of school, losing a job due to inappropriate behavior, various occupations, marriage, and divorce. At the end of each call, Jameson invites Coleman to come home to work with him and to be amongst his people. Coleman's reply becomes a refrain, I hate Virginia, I ain't never moving back. Of course, Coleman eventually does come home, but it's too late for him to reconnect with his friend. Coleman finally gives up on the idea that life has to be a fantastical Moulin Rouge. Rather, he remembers Jameson's prophecy, God always provides a way when there is no way. You will always take the right path. Coleman yearns for shoes so fast they can go back and change your past. Yet after 133 apartments in eight states and two countries, after 144 jobs he finally settles in his hometown of Richmond, Virginia, amongst his people, content working in his family's upholstery business, a job he thought college would save him from. He is with his family and telling his story just as Jameson always wanted him to be. This story is accompanied by haunting music that extols friendship and home in gentle lyrics that Coleman sings with quiet grace and serenity. This beautiful tribute to a friendship too short makes one realize that relationships must be nurtured and enjoyed. One never knows when or how a relationship will end. Also notable on this gripping CD is the audience, which is warm and receptive to Coleman's considerable charm and talent. Whenever the camera pans the audience, the members look at him with wide-eyed eagerness to hear and see more. They are showing that they are actively engaged in his performance. This is an audience that was wisely chosen. I have seen this show both live and on television, and I'm pleased to report that nothing was lost in the transition from one medium to the other. Coleman clearly is master of his game. And if you would like a copy of the DVD, The Neon Man and Me, you can um, find it at www.colman.com. That's www. The price is nineteen ninety five, and that's a bargain.
0: Hmm, that sounds really good.
5: It is a wonderful DVD. Oh, uh, well, very thank- heart touching show.
0: Yeah, I um, I just saw a little bit of it um, as a video um, online, and uh, I can't wait to see the whole thing.
5: It's wonderful. You'll love it. Alright, well, we'll take
0: a little break right now and we'll be back with the news with Linda Goodman. This is Chris Hillenberg, your host for Hear Women Tell, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. We'll be right back.
2: This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for hearwomentalk.com. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of racersreunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravel Resort. The Caravel Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club.
3: And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravel's Studio Spa.
5: This is Dottie Laster, the host of Trafficked, an hour-long discussion about human trafficking in the United States. Join me as we meet guests from around the world and locally who are combating the fastest growing crime in the world. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio.
3: Hi, this is Kay Van Hoosen, founder of Hear Women Talk. Every Monday, you can return to love with Jen Ward in Genuine Healing. Jen is an empath, a healer, and an intuitive, and Jen will show you how to remove blockages, heal yourself, and feel love. That's Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk.
4: Are you hungry and looking for something delicious and healthy, convenient, quick, and value-packed? Check out our favorite, Jimmy's Sabachi. Everything is sizzling and cooked precisely to order and they use only the freshest ingredients, including sterling silver premium meats. Try their $5 daily lunch chicken plate with fried rice and veggies, or check out their Korean beef lunch plate with sesame and soy and just a slight touch of sweetness. Mmm. For dinner, try their mouth-watering salmon, mahi-mahi, scallops, or tender, juicy filet mignon. You can dine in or take out, and they even have a drive-up window. Jimmy's Hibachi delivers, too. Open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 10.30 p.m., conveniently located in Myrtle Beach on the corner of Kings Highway and 62nd Avenue North. Call ahead with your order at 839-8008 and download their discount coupon on the hearwomentalk.com website. Scrumptious, fast, healthy, satisfying, and reasonably priced. You'll love Jimmy's Hibachi, 839-8008.
3: Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. This is Chris Hillenburg, your host, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And now it's time for News with Linda Goodman. Linda.
5: Hey, Chris. Big week last week. Big week. The National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and it was a good one. Mm. Excellent festival. J.O. Callahan blew everyone away with his story, Forged in the Stars, which was commissioned by NASA to celebrate its 50th anniversary. Uh, Donald Davis and Catherine Wyndham were in top form, brought the audience to their feet several times. Corinne Stavish was just stunning. This was her first time at the festival in about 11 years, and she was just pitch perfect. Beautiful stories and a a beautiful person, too. Kevin Kling, what a combination of intelligence and humor. Um, Something way beyond what you normally see at festivals. Mm -hmm. I eyes, you know, if he comes into your area, see him. Uh, The New Voices were great choices. There was uh, Kim Wykamp from here in Virginia and... She was in top form. She has got a beautiful, beautiful singing voice as well as being a storyteller. She's a very talented musician, uh, and her stories are just, you know, they make you laugh, they make you cry. its They're just wonderful. Uh, Susie Waples from West Virginia uh, told some delightful stories in the Appalachian dialect, my favorite one being how her Aunt Louise found out how babies were made. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bill Miller from the Mohican tribe uh, touched many hearts this past weekend. He was one of the other new voices. And big news from the uh, storytelling festival, the International Storytelling Center welcomed Sirius XM Satellite Radio to this festival. Sirius XM recorded on festival gra- on festival grounds and in programming tents throughout the event week- weekend and portions of the audio footage collected will be used to create an exclusive storytelling channel the channel storytelling radio will be included in Sirius XM's program lineup October the 8th through the 10th 2010 that's just this coming weekend
0: oh that sounds great
5: storytelling radio will begin airing friday october the 8th at 6 p.m eastern time and run through sunday october the 10th at 3 a.m the special event feature channel will be housed on sirius radio channel 113 and xm channel 118 the International Storytelling Center is so excited about this exclusive and one-of-a-kind opportunity to promote the art of storytelling by way of this unique platform. And, of course, they're hoping everybody will tune in.
0: Oh, absolutely. That sounds great. If you, absolutely. It's, if you can't be there, at least you'll be able to hear some of the wonderful that's stories. That's right. Well. Next, best
5: thing, next best thing to actually being there and seeing yeah. a
0: lot. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Linda. You're welcome, As always, Chris. I appreciate the uh, information and reviews that you give us. And uh, so we'll uh, close for now. This is Chris Hillenberg, your host for Hear Women Tell, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. Join us next week, Wednesday, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, here on Hear Women Talk Radio. And thanks again for joining us.